Amen. As you take your Bibles this morning, I'm going to have you turn to two different passages. The first passage is going to be Mark chapter number 3, the book of Mark chapter number 3. And uh, if you are able to, also find Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start off in Mark chapter number 3, and then we'll transition over to Mark, or sorry, Matthew 26. We're going to start in Mark 3 and go just a couple pages on back to the book of Mark. And if you're able to, as a custom here at Riverside Baptist Church, you find your place in your Bible. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to, we totally understand. <clears throat> Mark chapter number 3 is where we're going to start out at this morning. Uh, I'm going to preface uh, a little bit of the message this morning. Uh, it's a little different, and so if you would give me a little bit of, little bit of liberty as we kind of build the message and build the case uh, you say, is there a point to the message? Yes, there is, uh, but you might not get it till the very end, but I think you'll kind of understand where we're going this morning. Uh, this actually, uh, true story, true story. I was sitting down here on the front next to Dalton last Sunday, and uh, uh, Pastor Marshall began to preach the Sunday morning service, and as I was sitting there, uh, God gave me this message, and I actually showed Cole yesterday to prove that I wasn't just making up a, you know, sometimes preachers tell stories, and you're kind of wondering, is that a real story? No, this this is a real story, and I I wrote the notes down and been praying about it, meditating upon it this week, and uh, I believe this is where God has us for this morning. And so Mark chapter 3, hopefully you came to get in and not get out this morning, and I hope this message will be a blessing and encouragement to you. It's going to be a dark subject. It's going to be a dark subject. One that, uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, as I scratched my head this week, I don't know if I've ever really heard a message along these lines. And so uh, bear with me here, and we'll see what God has for us. Mark chapter number 3, we're actually going to start out at a positive. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, And he goeth up into a mountain, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry where he is going to call his twelve apostles. In verse 14, the Bible says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. And he surnamed them Bernaris, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Now skip over to Matthew, or go back to a few pages there, to Matthew chapter number 26. We'll primarily be in Matthew 26, but I wanted you to kind of read verse uh, three, or sorry, verse 13 in Mark chapter 3, just to give us some context, if you would, of what's taken place. In Matthew 26, we know this, we're at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and so we're kind of coming to the conclusion, if you would, of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we're going to pick up the story of the life of Jesus In Matthew 26, verse number 14. Then one of the twelve, this is speaking of the apostles, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest, and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him, speaking about Jesus, unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now skip down to verse number 47 of that same chapter. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 47. The Bible says, And while he yet spake, lo, 
Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords, and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave him a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. Hail, Master, and kissed him. Verse number 50, And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and laid hands on Jesus, and took him. Father, we thank you for this morning, and again the privilege and the opportunity we have to be in your house. We thank you for the word of God that we hold in our hands. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that this message would be clear. Lord there, is, um, Lord, there is a meaning and a purpose and a message behind what's in these notes and what's within this scripture this morning. And I pray, God, that that would be clear and precise. Lord, you know my heart this morning as I prayed this week and as I've studied this week and I studied yesterday and read over and, and Lord sought your face. I just pray that your word would go out clear. Lord, you might be honored and glorified, that you might be lifted up. Lord, our desire this morning, our desire this morning is for you to be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. To kind of give us a little bit of a, a background, if you would, and, <clears throat> and a little bit of context, we get into Matthew chapter number 26, and we're coming to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, for the sake of time, we, we were not going to go look at a, a lot of the other Gospels, but we know this this morning, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, a lot of times there's a parallel passage that we can find within the four Gospels that really highlight the ministry of Jesus Christ. And for the sake of uh, this morning and the time that we're allotted, I'm going to kind of focus primarily on Matthew chapter 26 and what takes place with Jesus and his disciples. So before this point that Jesus gets into Matthew chapter 26, where he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's betrayed by Judas Iscariot, we know this, that Jesus has spent the last three and a half years in ministry. He spent the last three and a half years traveling uh, Judea and traveling Galilee and preaching and teaching and healing and, and, and giving the blind sight and healing the lame and raising the dead. And, and we can go, we, for the sake of time, we won't look at it, but we can go throughout the Gospels and see time and time again where Jesus Christ performed miracle after miracle after miracle. And the Bible tells us this, that he performed so many miracles that we're not even, it's not all recorded in the Scriptures. And that's pretty amazing to think about all the things that Jesus was able to do that the Scriptures don't even hold, can't even contain, Brother Dan, everything that Jesus did in those three and a half years. But in those three and a half years, it wasn't just Jesus alone, amen? In Mark chapter number 3, we read the story in the, the passage where Jesus, uh, he, he spends some time with God, and he calls and he separates unto himself 12 men. 12 men that he is going to train, he's going to invest in, he's going to spend uh, time after time in, and the Bible tells us that he ordains them to be able to preach, and even in their ministry and underneath Jesus' leadership, if you would, he gives them the ability to perform miracles. You say, is this, is this like really pertinent, Brother Andrew? Absolutely. Because in the midst of one of those twelves is a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. Now, how many of us know who Judas Iscariot is? Now, we've all heard the name Judas Iscariot. If we've spent any time in church, listen, if we've spent any time in church or come to church on an Easter Sunday morning, and maybe that's the only time of the year we come to church, we understand what the name Judas Iscariot is, and we understand the moniker, if you would, of who Judas is. But can I tell you this morning, Judas was one of the twelve from the beginning. One of the twelve from the beginning. The fact of the matter is, is, as I was reading and even as I was sitting there last week listening to pastors he preached, he, he had made mention of Judas and that's what sparked 
uh, the thought and the idea, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, and, and God showed me a couple things we'll get into here in a minute about Judas, but the fact is this, that often we look at Judas, and we look at Judas simply as the betrayer, and we move on. No, no, we look at Judas as the one who would ultimately betray Christ. We look at Judas as the one who would, who would sacrifice Christ's life for 30 pieces of silver, a slave's price. And we would look at Judas and we're like, man, that's Judas. That's the guy that betrayed Christ. That's the guy, man, if Judas hadn't betrayed Christ, Christ never would have gone to the cross. But can I submit to you this morning that Judas was a disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. So that begs us to start thinking some things about Judas. It begs us to get to the point in studying Scripture to where we've got to ask these questions. What was Judas really like? What type of person was Judas? What type of individual was Judas? I just wrote some things down real quick as, as far as an introduction goes. Is he was one of the 12 disciples chosen by Christ. You realize this morning that there wasn't like an opinion poll when it came to the disciples? No, 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 no. There, there, wasn't, no, there wasn't no vote. There wasn't no election. There wasn't no uh, ballot box. There wasn't no, hey, let's draw straws. Let's figure out who's, who's going to be a disciple, who's going to be an apostle. There was none of that. No, no. All 12 men were selected, hand-selected by Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. In fact, the Bible tells us this, that the day before Jesus selects the 12 disciples, he spends the entire night talking to God about it. I, I think we read that passage, we overlook the magnitude of that statement. Jesus spent the entire night talking to God about the 12 men that he was going to select for the next three and a half years that would be by his side, that would be the ones that he would train, the ones that he would teach, the ones that would see the miracles, the ones that he, listen, the ones that were right by his side, he spent an entire night praying and talking to God about it. Judas was one of those guys. No, 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 no. Judas wasn't one of those casual followers like, hey, listen, they're getting ready to feed people on the hillside. You want to come join? There's about 5,000. I don't know what's going to happen. They've only got a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread, but let's see what happens. Let's see if we can sneak in. No, no, that wasn't Judas. Judas, Judas was one of the select, if you would. Judas was one of the close ones. Judas was one of the ones that Jesus Christ handpicked and said, this is going to be one of my disciples. This is going to be one of my apostles. Judas was there for three and a half years of miracles. Judas was there for three and a half years of preaching. Judas was there for three and a half years of starving, of not knowing what was taking place. Judas was there for three and a half years of teaching from Jesus Christ. That was Judas. That was Judas. He was there for the Sermon on the Mount. He was there for Peter walking on water. He was there for the calming of the storm. Hey, he was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was there. He was part of the twelve. No, no, he wasn't just some guy that showed up on the scene and said, hey, I got the inroads, and you pay me a little bit. No, no, he was right by Christ's side. But can I say this, what's really neat when you study Judas's life, it wasn't just the fact that he was right that close to Christ. Uh, it wasn't the one thing that stuck out in my mind, but it was the fact that there was 11 other guys that were just as close to Jesus Christ's side. He was right by them as well. And when you study your scripture, you study the Bible, not once do you find Peter, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, any of the other apostles go, there's something fishy about that guy. No, 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 no. Not once do you read in, in, in Scripture. Not once do you read, that's the guy Jesus is talking about. That's the betrayer. That's the guy that's going to sell Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. You don't find that. Here's what you find. You find Judas as an apostle of Jesus Christ. You find him as one who's by Christ's side, who's being instructed by Christ, who's being taught by Christ, who, who sees the miracles of Christ. Even in our text in Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew records him as this, as Judas is one of, quote, the twelve. 
He was one of the twelve. He was a disciple chosen by Christ. But not only that, I find this, and as we study the life of Judas, that he willfully betrayed Jesus Christ. We read in our text this morning that Judas conspired with the chief priests to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So what does that word betray mean? So I looked it up. It means this. It means to deliver into the hands of an enemy by treachery or fraud. And then there's a little comma, and the definition finishes out with this. In violation of trust. Jesus would acknowledge this fact in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22, by telling his disciples this. The Son of Man shall be betrayed by the hands, or into the hands, of man. More than a handful of times throughout Scripture, we read about Judas Iscariot, and the, every description that we read is defined by this. Judas Iscariot, the man that would betray Christ. Judas Iscariot, the man that would turn over Christ. Whatever the case is, you don't find Judas Iscariot being described as this. Man, a great brother. Hey, man, a great preacher. No, no, you always find Judas described in the Bible as one that would betray Christ. You see, within our Bible this morning, there are characters that are defined by certain attributes. Noah is defined by righteousness. The Bible defined Noah as a just man, a righteous man. Noah has been always defined by righteousness. Abraham is known by obedience. He's defined by obedience. In the early part of the, of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God would come to Abraham and, and tell Abraham, speak to Abraham to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, to leave his family, to leave what he knew was right, and to go to a promised land that God would eventually show him down the road. And Abraham was defined by obedience. Moses is defined by meekness. God's Word describes this in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that Moses was a meek man. He was a humble man. Daniel is known by faithfulness. You study the life of Daniel and you look at all that Daniel went through, and you look at the, the faithfulness of Daniel, regardless of the king's decree, regardless of what persecution Daniel was going to face, Daniel was faithful. And can I say this, just kind of add this in this morning, we need some faithfulness within our churches today. No, no, I'm not going to say it again, we need some faithfulness within our churches today. No, no, Daniel understood the fact that if he was to pray, and see the king's decree uh, 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 came in and was, the decree was signed, and Daniel knew if he was going to pray to God, God in heaven, that there was going to be some repercussions and there was going to be some circumstances that weren't going to be favorable for him, yet he was faithful to do that which God wanted him to do. Can I say this this morning? The best attribute you and I could have is faithfulness. Faithfulness. No, 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 hey. We want faithfulness from our spouse, do we not? Oh, yeah, real quiet. We want faithfulness from our spouse. We want faithfulness from our spouse. We want faithfulness from our spouse. We want faithfulness from our children. We want faithfulness from our, our best friends. We want faithfulness in our life, but yet we don't want to be faithful to God? Man, something's wrong there. Daniel knew the persecution that was coming. And can I say this? I, I don't want to get political and... And I don't want to get into all the political jargon that's going on in the world today. But I'll be honest with you, there's going to come a point, maybe, maybe not in your lifetime, maybe, maybe my lifetime, but definitely probably my kids' lifetime, where they're going to have to make the decision, am I going to be faithful to God or am I going to be faithful to man? And listen, it's already happened across this globe. And can I say it like this? It's happening in America today. We are living in a, a, a culture, in a society, where men want to be faithful to men rather than being faithful to God. And for you and I this morning to think about this, to examine this, and to think, man, Daniel was faithful in spite of the persecution that was coming. Man, it ought to motivate us to be faithful to God. No, 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 no. hold up. Not, not faithful to Brother Andrew. Not faithful to Pastor Marshall. Not necessarily even faithful to Riverside Baptist Church. But faithful to a God in heaven who loved you so much to send his only begotten son to die for you. 
Man, we need some faithfulness in our churches today. Daniel's defined by faithfulness. But how about this? Samson. <laughs> we all know the story of Samson. Samson's defined by his strength. His strength. But you know this, the strength that God gave Samson wasn't for Samson's personal glory. No, the strength that God gave Samson was for God's glory. How about this? The apostle Peter. What's he known for, Brother Andrew? How about this? A big mouth. <laughs> big mouth. You ever had those times in your life where it's like open mouth, insert foot? That's how Peter lived like 24-7, right? I was thinking about this this week as I was typing up this message. How many times did Peter open mouth, insert foot, that it's not recorded in Scripture, amen? Man, there's multiple places we can take in the Gospels and we can open it up and go, man, there's Peter. Peter, you're such an idiot. You're such an idiot. You, You didn't even think before you spoke. Peter. No, no, Peter's defined by having a big mouth. And then Judas, Judas is defined by being the betrayer. The sad thing is, is that these realities of Judas are also what make him such an interesting character. Because at the same time that Judas was the disciple, and he was part of the twelve, he was part of, if you would, the inner circle of Jesus' ministry, and because also that, that, that Judas, he, he had this, this internal issue that would cause him to betray the Son of God, he also shows a little bit of his humanity. So why do you say that, Brother Andrew? Because Judas had remorse. No, no, Judas had remorse. I think oftentimes when we think of Judas Iscariot, we picture Judas as a snake, as a rat, as a villain. You know the bad guy in a, in a movie or in a play or in a book? Sometimes we picture Judas as this, as this individual that, man, they're just, they're just so vile, so wicked, they got this inroad, and they're always always against the main character. They're always trying to to break up this couple, or they're always always trying to get out for themselves. And and as I study my Bible, I don't see that about Judas. I I don't find that that Judas is jumping for joy and going, man, you got Jesus, woo, yes, praise the Lord. I don't find that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, we find, and for the sake of time, I'm going to look at it, but we find that Judas was very remorseful. We find that Judas had gotten to the point during this whole, uh, uh, this whole situation that takes place here in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels where, where Judas was, uh, was, was looking at the situation and, and he got to this point where he was so, can I say it like this, he was so remorseful, he went back to the priest and he threw the silver, he threw the 30 pieces of silver at their feet. So remorseful that he went out and he committed suicide. No, no, we don't see in our text this morning that as the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the soldiers, Judas shows up to the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't find Judas going, hey, 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 I've arrived. It's all good now, guys. There he is. No, we find him very remorseful, very sad for what he did and the decisions and the choices he made. We know this about Judas, then John chapter number 6, verse 71, the Bible describes Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, as one of a man of Corinth, and Corinth was a small town in Judea. You study that out this morning, you'll notice this, in the, looking at Mark chapter number 3, that Judas was the oddball. See, so what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Jesus had 12 disciples or 12 apostles. 11 of the 12 were from Galilee. Judas was not. Eleven of the twelve were men who had grown up in kind of the common area together and 
men who knew the culture and men who knew kind of the, the riffraff and the gossip and everything else that went on in Galilee, but not Judas. Judas was from a city that was south of Jerusalem. There's another city that's south of Jerusalem that's very familiar to you and I. It's the city of Bethlehem. Judas was from an area that originated in the line and the tribe of even Jesus Christ. Judas was a little different. He was a unique individual, but at the same time, he was one of the twelve that Jesus chose. In John chapter 6, verse number 70, the Bible says this, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Even in choosing of Judas, Jesus knew that Judas was not one of his own. Even in choosing Judas, Jesus knew that Judas had a heart problem. Even in choosing Judas, Jesus knew that there were some issues in Judas's life. While the disciples were men changed by Jesus, it's critical for you and I to understand this morning that just because Jesus chose them did not necessarily mean that they chose Jesus. Just because Jesus selected these twelve did not necessarily mean that all twelve, Brother Dan, selected Jesus. As a matter of fact, we have the privilege of looking back at this text and this passage and knowing this morning this, that there was one who did not choose Jesus, even though Jesus chose him. You see, it wasn't a callous selection by Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, verse number 12, I already kind of mentioned this, but if you need the text, Luke 6, 12, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. Speaking about Christ, as he petitioned God to know exactly who to pick as a disciple. It wasn't a callous selection by Jesus Christ. This wasn't something Jesus decided based on feelings or on emotions or on a poll. No, no, he spent time in prayer. He spent time talking to God. And, and if Jesus could spend the time talking to God about the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, maybe it ought to encourage us or motivate us to spend a little bit more time in prayer before we make a decision. But I want us to look at three things this morning real briefly and then we'll be done. Three things, three truths that I believe we can look at the life of Judas and glean from. Here's truth number one. Judas was religious but had no relationship. Hear me out. Judas was religious but had no relationship. You see, being a member of a church or being a member of Riverside Baptist Church, or how about this, just faithfully attending Riverside Baptist Church, does not automatically mean that you are saved. Oh, I'm going to say it again. we, we got real quiet. Just because you're a member of Riverside Baptist Church, and just because you attend, and just because you're sitting in that chair, does not necessarily mean that you're saved. Listen this morning. It doesn't matter if you're in this church or another church. It doesn't, listen, I, I, I can't go stand in my garage and say, hey, I'm a car, just because I'm standing in the garage. No, no, no. Just because I'm a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, just because, Brother Carson, I'm a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, does not mean I can go to Bush Stadium, put on a uniform, and go to the plate and say, hey, batter's up. I can't do that. I'm not a baseball player. I want to be, but I'm not. No, no, no. Just because you're here at church, just because you have a suit on, or a tie on, or a dress on, or just because whatever the case is, just because you're here does not necessarily mean that you are saved. Judas was religious, but had no relationship with Jesus Christ. Now hold up, hold up, hold up. Judas, for three and a half years, saw the miracles. Judas, for three and a half years, preached. Oh, we don't, have, we don't have time to go to it, but we know this, that in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, that he sent his disciples, his apostles out two by two. 
So somewhere along the line, Judas went out with another disciple, and here's what Judas did. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, the kingdom of heaven is come. No, no, he preached the word of God. He was very religious, but he had no relationship with Jesus Christ. He had no relationship with God the Father. He had no real relationship. And can I say this? The sad thing is this, is that in the society we are in, in the church environment that we're in, I'm seeing this more and more the longer I've been in ministry, we have a lot of young people and a lot of young adults that are very religious, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. We know how to play the game. We know how to make the act go on. We know what to say, what to wear, what to watch, what not to watch. We know the words that we need to say to our spouse, to our children, to our pastor, to our brother or sister in Christ. We know what to do, and we're very religious, but we have no relationship. When I study the life of Judas, that's what I find. Oh no, he, he could preach with the best of them. I, I don't know, the Bible's not, it doesn't tell us, but I don't know if maybe Judas went out with Peter. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he went out with Peter or if he went out with John and went out with Andrew. I, I don't know, but I can imagine Judas going on out and, okay, we're, now we're preaching. Man, we're preaching. What are we preaching? What, is, what does the master want us to preach? What does the rabbi want us to preach? And going out into the cities and the highways and the hedges and preaching the word of God. No, he was religious, but he had no real relationship. Judas could not have had a better example of a relationship. Jesus Christ treated Judas no different than the others. He still loved him. He washed Judas' feet just as gently as he washed Peter's and John's and Matthew and Mark's feet. He, 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 he was just as tender to Judas as he was to the other 11 apostles. One preacher described Judas like this. He said, it's sad to think of a man who at this point in Matthew chapter 26 would kiss the door of heaven but die and go to hell. No, no, Jesus in His earthly ministry would describe to His disciples that He was the door. He was the door. He was the way to the Heavenly Father. He was the door to heaven. And here Judas in Matthew 26 shows up on the scene and he betrays Christ by a kiss. Yet the Bible tells us and describes for us in Acts chapter number 1 that when Jesus committed suicide, when Judas, or sorry, when Judas committed suicide and Judas killed himself, that he went to his own place. Speaking of hell. Not only do we see this, that Judas was religious but have no relationship, but kind of tagging along with this, I think we can see, Judas was a follower, but not a disciple. In our text this morning, we read how Judas went into the chief priest to betray Jesus Christ, and the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26 that Judas decided and agreed on the sum of 30 pieces of silver. According to Exodus chapter 21, verse number 32, 30 pieces of silver was the price to be paid by a master for a slave that was gored by an ox. How could, how could, how could, how could one who was so chosen, who was chosen by Jesus Christ, chosen by Jesus Christ, betray Jesus Christ for a slave's wage? You know why? Because he was a follower, not a disciple. You know, there's a difference this morning in somebody who's a follower and somebody who's a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference. I mentioned just a few minutes ago about the St. Louis Cardinals. Man, I I grew up playing baseball. I grew up, started playing baseball when I was four years old, most of my life. Played baseball. My dad was my coach. Played with my brothers. Uh, Played baseball all through high school. Went off to Bible college. Played a little bit in Bible college, intramurals. Man, I loved baseball. Loved baseball. Loved baseball. Loved it. And I would say this, that there was a point in my life where I could describe myself as a disciple of baseball. 
Brother Joe, man, I knew. I knew stats. I knew teams. I knew players. I knew the details. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, we can't relate to baseball. Okay, how about the Kansas City Chiefs? Amen. There we go. Now we're awake. Man, we're a disciple, and we're, we're following along. We know all the details. But you know, in truth, the last couple of years, I've distanced myself from baseball and from the St. Louis Cardinals. I've distanced myself from the stats and distanced myself from the highlights and distanced myself to going to a game. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, Crystal and I went out to St. Louis for our anniversary, and I got tickets behind home plate, like two, three rows on up, awesome seats. And I'll be honest with you, I came away just unimpressed. Unimpressed. You know, Judas was the type of guy who, while he looked around at the other disciples, at the other guys who were willing to pour their life out for the cause of Christ, the other guys that were willing to sacrifice, and he thought this, just not worth it. I'm just going to follow Jesus from a distance. I'm just going to follow Jesus from partially back here. I'm just going to be a follower, not a real disciple. Judas had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle, had seen Jesus heal sickness after sickness, but he made the conscious decision to willingly choose to turn his back on Jesus Christ rather than choose to follow Christ. You see, Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best teacher, the wisest and the best friend anyone could ask for, yet he failed. He failed. He failed miserably. He failed miserably. Judas made the conscious decision to follow Christ from afar. And because he decided to follow Christ from afar, ultimately he betrayed Jesus Christ. Simply because he was a follower, not a real disciple, Judas is known as the betrayer. Judas is known as that one disciple. Judas is known as that one individual, that guilty one. Judas ultimately faked friendship. Judas was a follower, but not a disciple. Then thirdly this morning... Hold your place in Matthew 26. We're going to turn to one other passage. Turn over to John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. I want you to see this this morning because I think this would resonate with us very, very well. John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. Thirdly this morning, Judas was living for the moment, but not the master. In our text in John chapter number 12, we'll just read it here, verse number 1, kind of give us some context. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. This is six days before the Passover, six days before the culmination, if you would, of the crucifixion and the betrayal. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Here's Jesus and the disciples, they show up at Lazarus' home. Lazarus, what's up, bro? How's it going? Man, you're looking good. Man, you got them grave clothes off. You cleaned up. Woo, life is grand, isn't it, Lazarus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Peter, man, it's awesome. Man, ever since Jesus called me out, ever since he raised me from the dead, man, woo, life has been great. Just, you can't see it, but I can see it in there. Anyway, verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now notice verse number four. As John writes, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. I find that very interesting in our text this morning that so often we read passages of Scripture 
And a lot of times you have to take what's said in a parallel passage of the gospel to try to figure out, was that Peter that made that statement? Or When you see Judas making comments, and this is one of the few places in Scripture where we see that, there's no parallel passage we need to go to. John describes Judas very well for us, and notice what he says. Judas Iscariot, Simon's, Simon's son, which should betray him. Here's what he says. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? We don't have time to look at it, but throughout Scripture in the Gospels, you can see this, that Judas was given the, the job, if you would, or the responsibility to be the treasurer. So he was in charge of the money bag. He was in charge of the finances of Jesus and the other 11 disciples, the other 11 apostles. And so here Judas is, and he's caught up. He's, he's living in the moment, if you would, and his thought process as he watches what's taking place at Lazarus' house, and he's watching what takes place with Mary as she takes this expensive ointment. A, a year's worth of salary was spent on this ointment, and she breaks it open, and she anoints Jesus Christ, and this, this uh, beautiful aroma, this odor fills the house, and, 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 and Mary's just, just showing her love and her appreciation for Jesus Christ. Here's Judas. Um, why are you wasting that? Why are you wasting that? Man, man. Man, you, you could have sold that. Man, you could have sold that. Look what, look what he says. Look what he says. Verse number five. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence? Hey, why did we not sell this ointment? Why did we not get 300? Three, let's just say like this. Why was it not given $300? I mean, man, we could use $300. Why, Judas? Look what he says. Latter part of verse number, verse number five. And given to the poor. <clears throat> Judas wasn't about the poor. Judas was about himself. The Bible records that Judas was actually taking from the, the bag, if you would. He was taking, he was stealing finances from Jesus and the disciples. Judas wasn't about the poor. He wasn't about $300 to pass out and, and to provide for food for the poor Jewish people of the day. No, no. Judas was thinking about himself. He was thinking about the moment, living for the moment, living for what he could have. You got to listen to this. Watch. For three and a half years, he's followed Jesus Christ. For three and a half years, he's seen the crowds. Three and a half years, he's seen all these people gather around Jesus Christ. And here's what Judas has thought. Money, money, money. How can I take advantage of the situation? Can I say this this morning? There's many of us, even within the walls of this auditorium this morning, that we're living our life right now for the moment rather than the Master. We're living for what we can get right now what we can have right now in our hands, rather than living for the Master. Material wealth is great, it's good, but if that's the only thing we're living for, we're missing out on God's purpose for our life. We're missing out on all that God has for us. Back in our text in Matthew chapter 26, turn back there, as we kind of bring this all to a conclusion. Let's wrap this up for us this morning. <clears throat> The sad part in all this story of looking at the life of Judas, and we just briefly looked over it this morning, is that Judas was all about himself. All about what he could have. All about what his plan, his desire. And at the end of the day, Judas left this life. Watch. Left this life empty. No, 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 no. He didn't live his life empty. He left this life empty. He was already living life empty. He was already living life empty with, with a, a stirring in his heart, if you would, of, of not really having that relationship with Christ, not really having that relationship with God. And so he left this life, took his own life, left it empty. 
But yet there's another character that's in Judas's life that it's really neat to see, and we're going to just look at it real quickly this morning. Look at our text in Matthew chapter 26, and look at verse number 50. The Bible says this, And Jesus said unto him, Friend. You know, when I study my Bible, Brother Al, one of the neat things is, you like to study the life of Christ. One of the neat things about studying the life of Christ is no matter how offensive people were to Christ, that was never, never reciprocated back to them by Christ. Even, listen, even after, Brother Mike, even after Judas betrayed Christ, even after Judas walks on up, and Jesus knew exactly what was taking place, this isn't like Jesus going, uh, what's, what's with all these dudes here and swords and lanterns? No, he knew exactly what was taking place. Even at that moment in time, notice what our text says. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? It's amazing when you study the life of Judas how many times Jesus gives Judas the opportunity to get his heart right. The first time we read just a few minutes ago in the book of John when Jesus and the disciples were at the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And Jesus, and, sorry, and, and Judas makes a statement about the money, and Jesus confronts him. The second time was in the upper room, when Jesus would tell his disciples, there's one amongst you, I'm paraphrasing here, there's one amongst you that's going to betray me tonight. There's one amongst you that's going to, that's going to, just lost my shoe. Man, that's never happened before. Praise the Lord. Anyway, we'll figure that out. We'll just stand right here, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Where's my train of thought here? Uh, oh, the, other, the second time was at the Passover meal when Jesus would look at his disciples and say these words, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And listen, even to the point of calling out Judas in front of the other 11 disciples, the other 11 apostles. At this point in time, as Judas would gather to Jesus and come to meet Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's given another opportunity. And Jesus' response is this, friend, friend. Judas was filled with remorse but yet failed when it came to repentance. Ultimately, he was sorry for what he had done, but instead of seeking forgiveness from Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he went out to a tree and hung himself. At the moment Judas was hanging himself, there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ, the one that he had followed for the last three and a half years, who spread his arms upon the cross of Calvary and bore the sins, listen, of Judas. Bore the sins of you and I, bore the sins of all mankind, Why? So that we would not have to go into our own place, but that we could go to a place that was prepared for us by our Heavenly Father. That we could go to a place that was prepared by Jesus Christ. And the reason why Jesus spent three and a half years preaching, thus saith the Lord. For the last 2,000 years plus, Judas has lived in a place called hell. He's lived with remorse. He's lived with regret. The only thing Judas has to look forward to is the great white throne judgment when he'll once again stand before God and hear these words, Depart from me, ye cursed. I never knew you. The tragedy this morning is this, is that millions sell Jesus for even less than 30 pieces of silver. They sell him for a godless friendship. They sell him for some vile habit they, hung, they hang on to. They, they, applause, uh, they sell themselves for the applause of godless men. But like the 12 apostles, we're challenged this morning with this fact. Will we choose Jesus? So let me ask you a couple questions and we're done this morning. Are you a disciple 
Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ or are you just a follower? No, no, no. I'm not, I, I just asked a simple question. Are you a disciple or are you a follower? Do you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings? Or are you just religious? So, man, Brother Andrew, that's pretty offensive. I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up in a family, uh, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, very religious, very religious. Sad thing is, is that many of them over the years have passed. And their religion has not got them into heaven. Religion never saves anybody. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me ask you this. Are you living life for the Master? Or are you living for the moment? We're going to end this morning with the title of the message. Are you a Judas? Are you a Judas? Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we thank You for the Word of God. Lord, I pray this morning that it's been proclaimed, that it's been clear, and it's been precise. Lord, it's amazing when you study the life of Judas and the life of the apostles, all that took place. And just in the last 30, 40 minutes, we've briefly looked at it. But God, I can't help but think this morning that there might be somebody here. Lord, maybe they are just a follower of Jesus. Maybe they're not really a disciple. God, maybe there's somebody here this morning that's just religious, but there's really no relationship. Or maybe this morning there's somebody that's just living for the moment. There'll be a moment in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There'll be a moment in my life where I turn over to God. But the reality is this morning, God, you desire that we live for the Master. We live for you. Lord, I pray that as we go into this invitation time, that you'd be honored and you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. As we stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, the piano's going to play, the altars are open. Hey, the challenge has been given. Are you a Judas this morning? You say, hey, Brother Andrew, I, I'm not a Judas. I'm, I'm saved. I'm one of the 11. Man, how's your walk with God this morning? How's your relationship with God? How close are you to God this morning? We're just going to let the piano play this morning. There'll be no song. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we do business with God.